0: conversation
1: with david drucker of the washington examiner he's the senior political correspondent for that fine publication speaking of fine publications david's the author of in trump's shadow the battle for 2024 and the future of the gop david how are you sir
2: i'm great Thanks terrific
1: oh yeah absolutely it's good to talk to you so uh speaking of in trump's shadow and in the state of the gop i actually want to take a look uh, if you will, at both parties and the the conflicts, the divisions therein. But we can start on the Republican side. I mean, uh, Liz Cheney, Adam Kingsinger of Illinois, recently censured by the RNC. Mitch McConnell shoots back that that's idiotic and useless and divisive and and the rest of it. Uh, what's the uh, what's the state of the Republican Party at this point from your perch there in the Capitol?
2: Well, look, it depends on how you want to look at the party. I mean, the party is on track for. Uh, big gains in the 2022 midterm elections um i think they're they're on track to win control of the house and senate and possibly by big margins so when you want to look at win loss and judge a party's political viability that way which seems to make sense to most people (laughs) including uh you know they're they're in pretty good shape um when you look at the evolving nature of the republican party when you look at the party long term there are some more uncertainties out there obviously the party continues to realign somewhat, and you have this ongoing battle between the traditional conservatives and the conservative populace in the party. I think uh, former President Donald Trump's fixation on the 2020 elections long-term is not helpful to the party, uh, and those could have consequences in 2024, uh, especially if Republicans do well in 2022 they're all of a sudden and this is the problem you want of course but you're going to they're going to share responsibility for governing. Um we've seen past democratic presidents get repudiated in midterms and then recover in their re-election bids uh, and we've seen republicans suffer in midterm in in presidential or midterm elections and then recover two years later. So uh it's, it, it, by every measure that matters in the moment, Republicans are doing very well. Their fundraising is up. Uh, their political organization is doing well. When you look at some of these longer-term trends, uh, whether the party is getting along, whether they're willing to cooperate with each other to form a majority coalition in a national election, that still remains to be seen, and it is a concern among some Republicans I talk to, and I think they're right to be concerned about it. But this is not um, an either-or scenario, nor is it uh, remotely all doom and gloom.
1: You know, I'm ambivalent about a lot of this stuff as a conservative. Um, I just, you know, I have mixed feelings on a lot of it, but just, what do you think of this notion? That, and, and, well, Trump's fixation on the 2020 election, I think, is making him less relevant going forward. If, if Trump were, were focused, hard focused on inflation, uh, the border, People's living conditions, you know, uh, dinner table issues, um, and not obsessing over the 2020 election, his shadow would be looming even more over the Republican Party. His influence, I think, would have grown.
2: Well, you know, when I I asked Trump about this when I interviewed him last year for In Trump Shadow, and I asked him if he thought his his you know decision to constantly beat the bush about the you know what he thinks happened in 2020. I said, you know, doesn't it make it harder for your party to win control of the House and Senate in midterm elections? Now, this was before President Biden's approval numbers had dropped and things looked so good for Republicans. And he said, yeah, maybe so, <laughs> but I don't really care. And then he also said, well, I think this will help energize our base because that's what they're interested in. So you raised a really good question. What I would say about this is that there are a number of Republican primaries in big states in Senate races, never mind House races, and some governors' races where they all where they agree with Trump, these uh, primary candidates and won't say otherwise. And maybe they secretly disagree with them, but refuse to say it. Mm-hmm. And if you end up with nominees in some of these key races with candidates who also want to talk about you know an election being stolen, despite um, an incredible lack of evidence to that effect then this issue is not going to go away. Now, in many of these states, I still think the Republican nominee wins anyway. I, I mean, I tend to think that whoever wins Ohio, and just about all of them say Trump's right, the election was stolen, the nominee in the Ohio Senate race is going to win. <clears throat> the nominee in the North Carolina Senate race is likely to win. The nominee in the Pennsylvania Senate race is likely to win. So it, it's not going to hurt in the near term, but it is going to keep alive this notion in the party um, that Trump is right, and then of course you have voters who wanna focus on the future. Given how the nature of how much trouble the Democrats are in, and given that they're in charge in Washington, I don't think this kind of, kind of conversation is going to hurt Republicans or the party. I think they're still, given the Democrats' super thin margins in the House and Senate, and everything else, Republicans are still likely to have a really good election. Which of course is gonna make them think that, 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 that there's no problem in talking about a stolen election. Uh, that wasn't stolen. And, and that's why I say it possibly becomes a problem in 2024.
1: David Drucker of the Washington Examiner on the line. One more question about uh, the Republicans before we move across the aisle. Uh, It seems to us that there are a lot of really interesting and encouraging trends for the Republican Party. Uh, uh, More folks of color, more working class people are moving the Republican way, and it feels like the Democrats are becoming the party of the suburban, social degree holding elites of America. To what extent is that true?
2: Well, uh, it's I think that the signs are there that this is happening. Before I make blanket predictions, I like to see how things play out over time. But we have seen Republicans make gains with Hispanic voters, for instance. Donald Trump won um, a, a county along the Mexican border in Texas that Republicans have not captured in a presidential race in 100 years. And I think what this trend is about is as the Republican Party, at least for the time being, becomes more of a working-class party, where more of its voters tend to be uh, um, blue-collar workers. Well, there are lots of Hispanics and lots of um, voters that are not white, that are a part of the working class, that have long seen the Democrats as the party of the working class and now um, believe that the Republicans are the party of the working class, both from an economic standpoint and from a cultural standpoint. And by the same token, we have seen some suburban voters – um, we've seen some evidence of this: some sort of white-collar suburban voters of both of you know both of of, of, of all races, uh, but but you know particularly these white suburban white-collar um, workers who have long voted Republican finding more cultural affinity with the Democrats. So we've seen some of this realignment. It's all of these things are sort of dependent on who the next Republican nominee is in 24, what kind of coalition they're able to cement, what the economic and and geopolitical uh, conditions in the country and the world are and how, you know, the the two nominees position their parties in that contest. But the signs are definitely there that this is beginning to happen. Um, And so it'll be interesting to see what happens, not so much in midterm elections, because we've seen non-white voters flock to Republicans in greater degree in midterm elections when Democrats Hmm. are having trouble. But how... But, but it'll be more interesting to see if we see a continuation of what we saw in 20 happen again in 24.
1: Okay, we just have a couple of minutes left. But I, I, one of the thing we've talked about a lot around here is to to what extent do you think the Democratic Party is being led by the woke energy on Twitter? And among congressional staffers And Twitter is not America To what extent do you think they're being You know the dog of the Democratic Party Is being
2: wagged by the tail
1: Or, or does the woke left have that much heft
2: Well look I think, I, I think There is some validity to this Both parties As polarization has increased Over the past two decades Have been led or influenced More by their Base of committed voters, right? You know, we've seen in covering the Republican Party over 20 years, the influence that the Republican base often has, the committed conservatives often have in in the party, in part because in house races where most districts are drawn to elect one or the other party, it's the primary that really counts. And if you don't play to your primary audience, you don't get to the general election. Where you're going to win easily and so i think that what we're seeing in the democratic party now is something we've seen for years in the republican party and they are being influenced to a huge degree by the far left flank of their party and i think we've seen this most notably uh, when it comes to um, pandemic policy coming out of the white house you know joe biden can't win in this regard uh, in Republicans, certainly, but even, uh, but especially independents really want to shift to a posture of policy on the pandemic that, that recognizes or believes that the coronavirus is just not going anywhere, uh, for the foreseeable future and, and get us back to a normal footing, just doing, living like we did before the pandemic, but taking, you know, precautions as they are necessary. Hallelujah. Our left wing and the Democratic base of the, Democratic Party doesn't think Joe Biden's doing enough to protect against the coronavirus. They want stricter mandates on vaccines, more mandates on vaccines, stricter and more mandates on mask wearing and and the like. And that belief on the far left flank of the party is influencing how many Democrats in Washington, at least, are reacting to the pandemic, both politically and from a policy standpoint. And it's far different than what you're seeing from center-left Democrats and independents who may tend to vote Democrat. And we've seen you know, that Democratic governors around the country are starting to react to the broader number of Democratic voters in their states rather than uh, the most committed liberals. But it is definitely having an impact. And you're right when you point out that Twitter is not real life, neither on the right or the left. And when politicians cater to Twitter – they end up in trouble with a broader number of voters they need to win reelection.
1: Well, and your point about COVID policy is a great one. It's such a such a strange chapter of American history we're all living through. I'd like to write the book Culture and COVID if I only had the time. But um, let's remember Glenn Youngkin is the governor of Virginia, not so much because of the critical race theory stuff that got so much attention, purely Because he ran on, get the kids back in school. The kids need to be in school. And that hardcore left flank of the Democratic Party is just have four-year-olds in masks and and send everybody home the minute anybody gets COVID. And uh, that is just absolute electoral poison, I think, uh, to an extent that the mainstream media does not adequately reflect. But uh, David Drucker, the Washington Examiner. David, I wish we could talk all day, but I'm afraid we're up against a break. But it's great to talk to you. Good luck with the book, In Trump's Shadow, The Battle for 2024 and the Future of the G. Thanks, David. Thanks so much.